Take your Bibles with me and turn with me to Matthew 28, please. Matthew chapter 28. And we will look into this important passage of Scripture starting at verse 16 through 20. Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Aren't you thankful for the presence of God? We could leave right now and go eat chili. And it'd be okay. But we're not. Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission, and in this Great Commission we find an imperative verb, and it says make, make disciples. The command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. And may God forgive us if in any way we have compromised that command. We can either lead a self-directed strategy and hope that God will bless it. Or we can lead a Christ-directed strategy which is to make disciples and have the guarantee that God will bless it. What is discipleship? We're going to spend a lot of time on that question. Messages in the weeks to come that will help us once again go back to God's original formula. And then through the summer we'll recycle these thoughts. And in the fall we're going to release the personal spiritual growth plans. And we'll be in a theme and in a series. And it's going to be called Back to School. Back to a school of faith as we... Honor God as followers of Christ. The word disciple is used 269 times in the scripture. We have come to a day where there are casual listeners. There are convinced listeners. And then there are those who are committed lifelong followers and learners. Think about the present day church. Not just this church, but the church as you know it. How... how are we doing? Think of the categories, casual listeners. Those are people that aren't sure that we're even giving the truth. They haven't been convinced that this is the moral authority. Convinced listeners, those who believe that this is the truth, but as you watch them day after day or week after week, you don't see a lot of change, but they are convinced. And then there are those that are committed lifelong learners. Could we agree that there are more people in that second category than in the third category? I remember starting to pastor 20 years ago. And a man walked up to me on a Sunday evening. He said, I just want to tell you something. If you ever see me do this and walk out, I want you to know why. 
He said, I walk out around here for two reasons. When the music gets too loud and the preaching gets boring. He says, the reason I do this is because, as you know, right across the street is McDonald's. And I'm on my way to the Golden Arches. I pastored the church that I grew up in. I knew that man. That had to be the meanest Christian in the Assemblies of God. He was absolutely convinced that this was the word. It seemed he didn't miss church. I know he didn't when I was a pastor. Dear God. You know, there are some people and just, Lord, forgive me. Uh, Lord, just save them or kill them. Anyway, back. uh, uh, Oh, forgive me, Jesus. And now back to the message. This guy was negative. This guy was cranky. He had been in the way, like in the gospel. He had been in the way for many years, and he's still in the way. And, uh, and people would say, well, you know, he's negative, but he has a good heart. Only in the church can that happen. Anywhere else, ultimately, you're going to lose your job. Nothing will work. But in the church, we just say, well, you know, they have a good heart. And yet within the church is the only place within the context of Christianity is the only power to actually change from who we are to who we should be. So at the place where there's the most potential, it seems there's the less amount of accountability. See, I've pastored for 20 years. I may have pastored one year just 20 times. In other words, I may have only one year experience repeated 20 times. However, I may have 20 years of experience if I have learned and if I'm growing, if I'm changing, if I am becoming. I think this, of all of the great word that is, that is brought forth in a local church through like ABF, children's ministry, youth ministry, I think there should be tests. And I don't think the teacher should have to say, I'm going to give a test. I think we as students should say, give us a test because we need to be held accountable for all of this good word that we get week after week and year after year. We need to evaluate if we are remembering, if we are applying, if we are becoming, or are we just convinced that it's the truth, but we're not being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Discipleship is putting off the old and putting on the new. It is Christ being formed in me, Christ being formed in us. Moving forward in discipleship means to move forward in transformation. Putting off the old, putting on the new. When God brought Israel, his people, out of Egypt, he then had to get Egypt out of them. They had to put off some old ways and put on the new ways. Think with me about Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Abraham lied and said his wife was actually his sister. They give birth to Isaac. You know what Isaac does? He lies. And he says of his wife, she's my sister. Isaac and his wife give birth to Jacob. His very nature was that of a liar. 
And then he has a bunch of kids. And all of them throw Joseph, his favored son, into a pit, go back home and tell their dad that Joseph is dead and they have a funeral. What would it be like for a parent to have your kids come and say, hey, he's, he's dead, we've got to have a funeral. And they're lying. Consider the pattern of lying through those generations, the favoritism. Abraham favored Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Jacob favored Joseph. Think about the tension between Ishmael and Isaac, between Jacob and Esau, between Joseph and his brothers, all different generations in the same family. Think about their marriages. Abraham had Hagar and Sarah, and that didn't work. Ishmael had Rebekah, and that was disaster. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. That was dysfunctional. And so you see this imprint impact on all of these people. And God comes along and and gives them a new way of doing life. All of us have an imprint impact on us from different things. The way we were raised, the culture we've grown up in. All of these things have a way of putting an imprint and an impact. And then when we become saved, we are born again. We're brought into a new family and positionally, we're not who we were. We are different. We are saved. We are righteous. We're out of a kingdom of darkness and in a kingdom of light. Should Jesus come, we're on our way to heaven because we've been born again. But practically, there's a lot of changing that still needs to happen. It's called a progressive sanctification. We're sanctified instantly when we're saved. But then sanctification is progressive. And that's the part I'm concerned about. Because my dear brother back at my first church forgot about the progressive sanctification. Discipleship. Paul said in Romans that we are to go through a metamorphosis. It's the, the, me, the metaphor of a creepy crawling thing, a caterpillar becoming this beautiful butterfly that has a capacity to fly. That's the transformation that should happen in our lives, putting off the old and putting on the new. God saved me. God changed me. He picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. He found me. He came to me. I could not get to him. But now there's still a lot of changing that needs to happen, and it's called discipleship. Discipleship is the breaking of old habits. It is coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The reason that my brother in the first church could be a Christian and have a good heart but be the most difficult person to ever be around is because we've created some categories in the church. They're not biblical, but we've created them where you can be saved and not be a disciple. The Bible knows nothing of a person getting saved and just being bowled over by the love of Jesus and washed in the blood of Jesus. And then they put their Christianity, they put their Bible on the shelf and they don't grow in the likeness of Christ. The Bible knows nothing of that, but we perfected it in the local church. It gets quiet during surgery. How I 
was raised should not be the Lord of my life. You know, this is just the way that I am. Once you get saved, you are not a chip off the old block. You are a brand new block. The culture that I was raised in should not be the Lord of my life. Jesus should be the Lord of my life. These young people are being raised in a a very pluralistic society where we are to accept anything and everything. That's the culture that influences them. And when they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are going to be transformed to where they will still love the sinner but realize there's a lot that's unacceptable. See, your generation knows a whole lot about grace, and I'm thankful for that. But be reminded that there's also judgment. You see, when the door of the ark closed, those who were on the outside were on the outside. There is the possibility of being left behind. There would be no real issue about grace if there wasn't a hell to shun. And so these young people are coming in. I came in on a day where it's like the flames were chasing you. You, you, I got saved every Sunday. I mean, I came, it's like, you get saved, you have one wayward thought. Jesus is up there. He's got a piece of chalk and an eraser. I love you, Jesus. My name is in the book. I have a wayward thought. My name is out of the book. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> On a Sunday night, oh, I spent more Sunday nights in fear going, oh, God. The pastor was preaching on the rapture. I'm like, get to the altar call. I need, I, hey, 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 hey. Now, you're in a day where the pendulum has swung and everything's acceptable. That's not the scripture. Everything is not acceptable. There is still a standard. There is still that which is called holiness. Amen? Oh, see, I tapped a generation on that. Now, let me tap, let me tap that generation. There's also something called kindness. And the longer you know him, the sweeter you should become. Yeah, all right. All right. Don't you. This is bulletproof. Changed. Jesus deserves to be Lord of my life. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he preached like this. You have heard it said. But I say unto you, so he he carved out a whole new way. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, here's the new way. If you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You see, he came and carved out what Christianity would look like. And said, those who are going to follow him would follow him. And he said, I don't care what you were told. Yes, you were told that, but I'm saying to you. Now, there's the issue. That's Jesus saying, it doesn't matter how you were raised. 
You're in a new family now. You have, you have new principles that guard and guide your life. So, let me ask a few questions tonight. What philosophy of success did you bring from the old life into the new life? Some people have defined success as the amount of money you have. Others, the amount of education you have. But how does Jesus define success? If we look into the Word of God, we will find that Jesus does define success, and it's being faithful to who He created us to be. Now, if I have brought a definition of success into my walk with God that says my success is determined by how much I make or how much education I have, I need to come to the biblical way. What kind of philosophy or concept of God did you bring? Some people were raised that that God was for the weak and church was just a crutch for those who are weak. Some of you were raised that way and it was very difficult for you. And even you find yourself in the local church just kind of struggling. At times you want to look around and say, because you have that old concept, that old philosophy. And you have to come and realize that God is God and God is good and God created you and God is in control. And God is not just for the weak, he's for you, the weak. He is for everybody. See, what kind of concept of marriage did you bring into your Christianity? That a happy marriage just happens naturally? And she's in this relationship to meet all of my needs? Or I got kicked out of the house and I needed a mom? What concept did you bring into it? See, some marriages would really function if we would just come back to this way of doing marriage rather than saying, but this is the way my dad did it. This is the way my mom did it. This, I love you, but this is the way I am. You need to change. Well, chili's cooking. Let's move along. I feel it. It's getting hot. Uh, okay, okay. Conflict. What kind of concept of conflict did you bring into your walk with God? See, some people just stuff conflict. Some people go silent and people don't talk to each other. It's the silent sabotage. Some people just explode. Every which way I've just said is very unbiblical. And, and we say, it's just the way that I am. My dad was a hothead and I'm a hothead. You just got to learn to deal with it. No, what does the Bible say? Discipleship, lordship is that I honor his way and I ask God to change me. I become a whole new person. Oh, let's talk about it. Classism. What concept did you bring into Christianity? Racism. Pastoring a church in South Arkansas, it was very interesting. In a city where there's 50% white, 50% black. When we had the, the first African-American who came onto our leadership board and people said to me, Pastor Ron, you're not white enough. And the African-American community said of that brother, you're not black enough. What kind of concept did you bring into your Christianity? Were you raised that just because the color of someone's skin, they were to be marked off? And do you say, well, I just want to tell you something, Pastor. I can put up with a lot of things. 
And I'll just tell you right now, if somebody comes in with a tattoo, Dr. Mark Rutland, he taught me how to preach. He said, you got to fly like a butterfly and sting like a bee. You, you move in there, flutter and sting, then you back off. Okay, okay. I'm backing up for a little bit. Discipleship, discipleship is putting off the old and putting on the new. What concept of sex did you bring into your Christianity? That's a subject we hadn't even been allowed to talk about in the local church. And our society is, is so influenced. 50% of men in the local church have issues with pornography. And we never even, it's like we can't say the word. God created sex. Hallelujah. Can you go start my car? I don't think I can stay for Chile. Let's get real. If I have my way, but it conflicts with his way, then I need to surrender and submit to God's way and be transformed, Christ formed in me, become more like Jesus. We all can grow. None of us are perfect. Oh God, will you help us here at the assembly to be passionate for discipleship. Moving forward rises or falls with discipleship. Whether or not I will keep growing. Oh, the older I get, I don't want to lose a teachable spirit. God, keep me teachable. Keep me curious. Keep me hungry for more of you. Oh, God, give us a revival until we are people of the word. And we engraft this word into the very character of our lives. And we start looking more and more like you. Oh, I have a passion that one week from now, I'm not the same man that I am today. One year from now, I am not the same man that I am today. More of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. Even, even when it hurts. And when all the pride in me says, no, may the spirit rise up and convict me. Until I surrender to the plan of God. You say, Pastor, how does this work? Just a few thoughts. Get saved. You must be born again. Why would I say that on a Sunday night? Because no matter how long you've been in church, it doesn't guarantee or necessarily mean you're saved. Sitting in church doesn't make us a Christian. Do you know Jesus? Maybe, maybe you've just become very religious. You, you go through the motions of religiosity, but you never read your Bible. You never pray. There's not an appetite for God. You know, anything that's alive is going to have an appetite. If there's no appetite for the things of God, then ask yourself, do I know him or do I just know about him? You see, discipleship, lordship begins 
with being born again, a whole new way, a whole new family, a, a new life. Then I say immerse yourself in the scripture and then become very honest. When his way collides with your way, be honest about it. Struggle with it and surrender and submit to his way. Let me close with a couple of scenarios about discipleship. Let's say we take one scenario of having our own self-directed strategy of life and doing church. And let's say that the strategy, we worked real hard at it and 10 people per week were getting saved. 10 people per week were getting saved. That would be 500 plus people per year. Year after year, let's say 30 years from now, we can praise God that 15,000 people are saved. However, that's only a small dent in the unsaved population of this country. It doesn't even register, much less the 1 billion people who have not had an adequate witness of Christ in our world. Here's another scenario. We decide to be disciples and make disciples, which is Christ's strategy guaranteed by God to work. And you just reach and disciple one person this year, just one. And then that person that you reach and disciple this year, next year there are two of you now, and and the two of you each reach one. And the next year there are four, and you each reach one. Do the math on this. 30 years from now, there will be 4 billion people in the kingdom of God. The way I've just given you is is the Lord's way, and he knew what he was doing. And I passionately call us to followership, discipleship to move forward in spiritual growth. I would love to hear that we can't hold the people in these ABF classes, that there are so many people hungry for the word, these Bible studies through the week that are occurring. I want to see that, but I want to make sure it's happening on a personal level and that you're finding someone that you can pour into. Anytime there is a new pastor coming into a church, there will be kind of a spike of visitors and we kind of find ourselves at an intersection where some people are not attending church and they start attending church. Some people are in another church and they come over because for some reason they, things aren't working out where they are. And, and sometimes, and, and I need to be careful to say no one's done this to me, so you know, you don't have to say, I cannot believe he is up there telling everybody what I told him this morning. I'm not doing that. But here's the scenario. If someone's coming from another church and sometimes a church loses its vision, you know, there's just all kind of reasons where a person may leave a church. That, that happens. There are people who will leave this church. It will just happen. But often we come into another church and we say we're coming to this church because this church does this and the other church doesn't. And we come into a new church being negative about our other church. There is no perfect church. You heard about the man who was lost on an island 
all by himself. And years later, they find him. And when they come onto the island, they notice there are three huts. And they say, what are the three huts? He says, well, that's where I live. Well, the other, he says, that's where I go to church. Well, what's that one? That's where I used to go to church. <laughs> he was the only one on the island. <laughs> I understand all of that. Let me just say, here's... Here's the way we should be here. If you're coming from another church because for whatever reason things haven't worked out there and I don't know what all those issues are and you have to pray through those. You should be clear about what is core at the assembly. And one of the core values is that we are saved to follow Jesus as disciples. And our passion is not just to have some awesome church services and be very excellent at doing church service until we're better at coming to church than being the church. I'm passionate that we will be the church. And being the church means we will submit to Christ and be followers of Jesus. And when his way contradicts with our way, we'll submit and go his way so that Christ may be glorified and we can make disciples of all nations all nations